Hey, I'm Ochoa. I have a question for you today. And my question is, there is a statistic that is true in education, but it's at this time of year, we hear it all the time. We're hearing it probably more this year than ever. There's a statistic that talks about how teachers in general, about 50% of them quit before their five years is up. So once you make it past that, the statistics get a lot better, but that five years gets rid of about half. And I think it's more than that now. People can check me on that. But it's been half for a while. It's kind of something that we've talked about. It's actually what the first episode of Teach Me Teacher, I think I quoted that statistic on the very first episode, which is funny, Uh. Um, with a teacher that did not do five years. (laughs) There you go. Ironically enough. But my question to you is, why? Why is this a profession that within five years, half of us quit. Thoughts? Thoughts. Thoughts are to develop a program. My, my dad wrote a dissertation or whatever it was, thesis or something, uh, in education. And it was, it was on the coach's side, and it was about how to build a program. And he actually did this research and study and wrote, you know, however they do that. And um, it was all about how to build a program. And he said it took three to five years to actually build a program that was successful. Now, if that takes three to five years just to build a program on the athletic side, let's just now look at that and put it as a teacher. So you're looking at three years just to feel comfortable, five years to feel like you actually have a program. And if you have a lot of I don't know. A lot of stuff can come at you that first, that those first few years. First of all, nobody's ever ready. I don't care what type of, (laughs) you know, of training they've had. They're not ready most of the time. Uh, Even, you know, way back when we're, uh, when I say way back when, when I went to school, we didn't have alternative certifications, right? They actually, we had school and, and we did all of these hours. And like, I have an education uh, minor with, uh, you know, with a major in English, major in history, but my minor is in education. So, I mean, I have all this education training and I get in there my first year. They didn't tell me about the kid that's going to pick up a chair and throw it across the room. They didn't tell me about the kid that od in my classroom on the very first year. They, you know, they're not going to tell me about that, um, colleague down the hallway that's jealous of everybody and wants to throw everybody under the bus. They didn't tell me about all of that. So when you end up, or the parent, they didn't tell me about the parent conferences. I don't think I had one class that talked to me about, that taught me about how to deal with parents over the telephone or in person and how to, uh, you know, and conflict resolution. I know they told me that, I, you know, I need to go stand next to the kid and maybe that might help, but I mean, we have more than just one kind of conflict. We have conflicts, potential conflicts with students, potential conflicts with colleagues, potential conflicts with parents, potential conflicts, you know, with uh, principals, even, you know, supervisors. So uh, teams, things like that. So I don't think those are things that we're actually ready for. Now you add all the paperwork, right? You have to have this documentation for this student that's at risk and that student that's at risk and no at-risk student is the same. So every person has their own different IEP. Nowhere in my training was that a part of it. And they, you know, so I think when that, if it takes three years, just even feel comfortable and you get hit with all these things that you weren't prepared for, um, 
it can be pretty daunting. So see that, uh, that that's why, but I don't know how to prepare anybody for that. I mean, how do you prepare them for that? You throw them in there and say, Hey, good luck. Love you. Come see you. Now, the only way you can do is support them through it. You know, you need to put them with mentor teachers. You need to have uh, supporting administrators. Uh, you need administrators that are secure in their own identity as an educator so that they can be supportive. You know, if not, then put them with a team that works with them, you know, that can actually pull them along and help them and, and things like that. But uh, that's not always available. So I just think that first year or two or three, you get hit with a lot of things and there's not, you know, a lot of things that you're probably not ready for. And secondly, I can tell you this, I don't, I've been involved in education for 35 years. We all know that it's been brought up more than once. However, I don't think I've had one day the same. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had one day the same. So if you're going and you're thinking that you're going to be doing a nine to five, get in there, get your work done and go home, that's not this type of job. So it takes five years, according to my dad's research, to develop a program. It takes five years as a teacher to develop a program. Well, also within those five years, how many different classes have you taught? I mean, you don't have the same schedule every year, right? So you might teach just English one year, but the next year, oh, we need a social studies teacher. So do you mind teaching Texas history in this? Oh, wait, now we need a junior English teacher and we need a ninth grade teacher. You're the one who can do both. Can you do that? Okay, can you now do English and geography? I mean, these are my experiences. Uh, I have taught science. I've taught all all of these things. So you have to be very flexible. And I just don't know if everybody's ready for it when they walk through that door. And so, um, I, you know, I don't, I think that's why they, they probably quit because they say, I, this is never going to end. But again, if we can tell them it's going to take a good three to five years just to get comfortable, stay till your sixth year and see how it goes. Maybe we could retain a little, a few more teachers. What do you think? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I think that's all spot on. I think there's a lot to that. I think sometimes, um, and I think I said it in Teach Me Teacher where I was like, you know, it's not enough to like kids. It's not. I mean, if you like kids, right. then you need to be like a like a youth pastor or, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a place like that where it's the demands are different because being in love with this job, you know, it's, it is, I do love the kids. I, I love them to death. I, I love meeting new kids every year. I love building those relationships, but I also love the, the, the discovery of figuring out how to get a kid to learn a really complex thing or trying to figure out what on earth I did wrong because everyone failed this test. Like that's, right. that's stuff that excites me. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people, that's the stuff that's like, it drives them out. They're like, why am I having to do all this data? Why am I doing this paperwork? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? And th- that's understandable why's depending on why you got into teaching, but it's also like, this is what we do. And I'm not justifying everything. I think there's a lot of bloated parts of what we do, but, um, I think a lot of people have a misinterpretation, a misconception, I guess, of, of what the job is. 
Um, you know, I think you have to you have to love what you do, but you also kind of have to love the job. You know, at least most of it, right? There's all there's always parts mm-hmm. we hate, but you kind of have to like when I like as a kid, like I think of the jobs I had. I, I didn't work that many uh, jobs before becoming a teacher, but one of the jobs I was at the longest was. Uh, Walgreens. I worked at Walgreens for like five years, uh, maybe less, maybe more. I don't know, something like that. I worked there for a while, and it was fine. And I liked the majority of it. There was parts of it that I actually loathed, but because I liked it, I got paid well, and I was like, sweet, this is awesome. And I think that's. But there's people who would like, I like, they would get hired and just be like, bye, I'm leaving. Do you know what I mean? Right. And that's every job. I just think teach. I think teaching has a. I think it gets so focused on because it's. I don't know. I mean, it's a career path that is relatively easy to get into in terms of what, like needing a college degree, those types of careers. Um, but it's really easy to fail at as well. You know what I mean? Like it's not being a doctor, like you're not going to go, you're not going to make it through med school and then become a doctor and then realize that's not really your thing. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's just different. It doesn't take much. And really so many States have alternate ways to get in there. Like you mentioned, um, you know, I'm alt certified, uh, that, uh, I think that because of that low barrier to entry, I think there's just this huge eye on it. Also, you know, there's literally millions of us around. So it's just teaching's a weird profession, man. I don't know. Maybe we should revisit that topic at some point. But ladies and gentlemen, this is Crafted Draft. That's Pamela Chom, Jacob Chastain. We talk about reading and writing workshop, philosophy, big ideas, and pretty much everything that comes to our minds. Um, this is the the a personal show where we talk to you directly. And that's what we're going to do today. We have questions uh, that we got from two of our Patreon supporters. Um, and if you want to send us a question to be featured on the show, sometimes we make whole episodes out of them. Sometimes we just answer them really quick. And sometimes we'll talk about them for a long time. But the way to get those questions to us, the most direct way is through Patreon, which you can find that link at craftanddraftworkshop.com. Just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Nalissa did. They all support us at various levels over there on Patreon. They get bonus episodes that no one else hears. They get bonus videos. And now because we have 10 Patreon supporters, we're going to be releasing regular PD videos starting in July. Some of these will be pre-recorded that we've had, and some of them will be new, and some of them will be a variety of things. Our goal is to make uh, those dollars really count, and now that we've kind of had this nice little community going, we can start pushing forward with some more uh, detailed uh, stuff. So whether you want to support us there or not, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You don't miss anything. Uh, leave a review if you haven't already and share this podcast with someone that you think needs to talk, think, interact with more about workshop. But today we're answering two questions, like I said, so let's get to it. All righty, Miss Ochoa. We have two questions and, you know, we'll see how we kind of bounce through this today, but I think we're going to start with, let me, let me pull up my documents here. You know, here we go. All right. So I think we're going to start with Rebecca's question and then we're going to work our way up uh, to Carol, who is one of our newer supporters. But Rebecca had messaged us and said, we use paper journals and physical books as much as we can in our classroom. However, I would love to know some suggestions on incorporating technology in the workshop model classroom. 
So thanks, Rebecca, for the question. Mm-hmm. Very appreciate it. So this is something that we've we've done willingly and unwillingly, depending on <laughs> the time of the what era we're talking about, whether it was deep in COVID or whatever. I mean, this was part of our um this was a lot of this was us we like earlier in the podcast, it was kind of us discussing a lot of this because we were figuring it out and a lot of the discussions we had, I guess, when we started Craft and Draft over ninety episodes ago was uh us like kind of live talking through how to do something digitally. So there's a lot of nuggets there, but it's worth bringing back up because we didn't get rid of technology and all funny, uh, or in all seriousness, you probably use technology. Actually, it's not even a problem. You definitely use technology more than me, uh, this year. So you're definitely, um, someone to hit on this, but I want to, I want to talk about this because we have an episode called paper is still King where we defend paper books and paper writing and uh, everything on paper. But that doesn't mean we don't have this. We're one-to-one on our campus. Every student has a Chromebook. Well, every kid is supposed to have a Chromebook, but they have <laughs> them, right? right. Um, and so this gives us some leeway. But what would you say? So given the, the times now where uh, we're under less COVID restrictions from last year, what would you say your ratio was? How often were you using paper only versus uh, the the digital side? I pretty much still use paper every day. At least, <clears throat> yeah, about every day, every other day. But I also use technology every day. So there might be a day I might not use technology. But for the most part, it was used pretty much every day. So how did I do it? Um, well, we, we kept our craft and draft, which were your paper journals, if you will. And so we did the craft and draft and all of that. Uh, we also use physical books, self-selected books, but I also allowed students to use Sora and, and things like that. But sometimes I would say if they were depending on Sora too much, I wanted them to also do both. So I would say, okay, no sore today. We're all using physical books. Uh, another day, I might say, I don't care. Y'all can read on whatever you do. Just make sure you're reading. So I would, I would change it up a lot. And so, but but I would include technology when students turned in all their work. Uh, they would take pictures of their work. They would write um, using Google Doc. I, this year, my students used. Google Docs, and they also used uh, that portfolio because we all, as a campus, we had the students do writing portfolios. So my students would also keep their data on on that. Uh, so they had a portfolio for their for their data, and they had a portfolio for their writing. So all of that was inside their English portfolio, and so that's what so that's what they would do. And they would, um, I would tell them sometimes I'd tell them make sure you have one thing in your portfolio for the six weeks that you really want in there. Other times I'd say this has to be in your portfolio. So again, uh, that was give or take, depending on what I needed for them to do. So they would use Google Docs to to type. 
Uh, they would also turn things in. They would use their cameras. They would use uh, videos. So they would video uh, themselves talking about a book. So we did a lot of that. And they would turn in their videos that way. Uh, the learning management system that I used, that we have to use at our, in our district is Canvas. Uh, but I've also used Google Classroom. Um, and as a college student, I use Blackboard, but we don't have that for us. So what we use is Canvas. Uh, and then let's see, I think another campus did Seesaw and things like that. But one of the things that I really liked about using my learning management system is if the students had a question, they would just, it, it also had the app on my phone. And so the students might have a question about something and then I might be at the store or wherever, and their question would pop up if I had time to answer it. Then I can answer it right then and there. Uh, they would turn all of their work in uh, via a picture or direct turning it in by turning in a file and uh, PDF files. They would always convert their stuff into PDF files. And so... Uh, but what that did for me is I could grade anywhere. I didn't have to take, they could keep their folders. They could keep their notebooks. They kept everything. And um, the way I looked at it was they would take pictures of it. And then in the classroom, I would say during a conference and I would look at it physically. But as far as their grades came from my learning management system. I don't know. There's, uh, there's so much more, but uh, they also uh, created websites for me. Uh, they've created, uh, you know, uh, speeches for me. They've done all kinds of stuff, anything that, and I'll let them try to choose if they want to do something. I've even had one create, um, uh, a game that, uh, was about a book that they read. And so their response was an actual little, they coded a game. So I allowed them to do that. So those are some things that happened this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I kind of have the, I I mean, we might go about a little bit differently, but it's essentially the same thing where we use technology to enhance, to extend. Um, There's an acronym for that. Do you have that in in your head somewhere? There's a technology acronym that talks about... Yeah. I should know it because I've had people on Teach Me Teacher who've talked about it before. Yeah, (laughs) and I know exactly what you're talking about, but right now it's not... Here, while while I while I talk for a second, maybe you can Google and find it. I don't know. It's somewhere. I just forget what it's called. But anyway, that whole idea of just thinking about what technology is supposed to be doing in class, and my the way I use technology primarily, um, other than kids being on their phones, right, <laughs> um, is. Uh, <laughs> For people who might not know, I'm probably the most lenient about phone use in my classroom. He is. Um, so it's it's they're usually out. But kids, I have it's a rule we we talk about. I let them use it for music and whatnot. I'm just not really a big stickler about it. But um, so they do use that. Uh, a lot of the times, they'll also use their Chromebooks for music um, if they have the proper headphones there, which is fine. Doesn't bother me at all, especially in writing. We don't, I don't allow music during reading time. Um, but, uh, kids, I do allow them to read on devices if they, uh, show me that they can do it. So I basically do like a three strike rule. Like if you, if I catch you like on solitaire or doing something else, it's basically like three strikes and then you're done with technology for, um, a bit. So I do let them read on that because we do have our library app. Some kids read and other apps. Some of them 
have Kindle uh, apps on their phone and stuff. So we'll do that. Uh, and then the, the, but the, probably the uh, primary use of tech in my classes is publishing kids, especially once we get through that first six weeks and I walk them through the publishing process. Uh, I let them publish whenever they want. Um, a lot of the times they wait until the last week, um, because they need that, that mild deadline I instill, um, for our grading period. But other than that, uh, they'll publish all the time. So they'll write something and publish, and sometimes they'll go back into their portfolios and whatnot, or they might have to Google something that relates to their piece, um, especially in nonfiction or for doing research or something. So that's usually how technology pops up in my space. So um, I'm not anti-technology. You know, sometimes we'll use like a Book It for a mini lesson, right, um, or a Kahoot as an exit ticket. Or something like that. Or we'll bring in, I watch a lot of slam poetry in my class. Well, I watched less this last year because the, they weren't nearly as in it. But I usually, you know, we'll bring up videos or um, stuff like that. Uh, I know there's, I'm not a, um, I don't use it a lot, but we've had a lot of people have, you know, success with doing Pear Deck to have, to walk through um, maybe a PowerPoint or something that you want to get through for your mini lesson. You know, it's just whatever kind of crops up. I know Ochoa, she didn't talk about it. I'm surprised that she was talking about technology, but her, uh, her new smart board that she has that she was. Oh, I forgot about my smart she, board. She fawned over it. We finally got her one after all this time. <laughs> so she uses that too. And I would say that's using technology in the classroom because you've, you've experimented with connecting that to what they're doing. Correct. Yeah, because uh, the smart board is really a over. It's a computer, and uh, anyway, we were uh, using that technology. The kids could actually sign in to an account. Uh, I think it's Lumi, uh, but anyway, they can sign into the account, and then uh, I could actually just like Pear Deck works. They can, you know, they can interact and they can act uh, act with each other. But it's all tied to my to my smart board. So it's pretty cool. Uh, sometimes it worked really well. And sometimes it was like the students, I had one student go, Miss Ochoa, it was real sensitive. It's a real sensitive touch board. And he goes, Miss Ochoa, you need to, you need to have a lesson or two about smart boards. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I just got it, you know? So anyway, I got where I was using it really well, moving these things. I look like CSI in the classroom, throwing this little picture there and all this and pulling things up. I use it a lot now that I have it. But anyway, there was one where he's like, can I teach? Can I teach? Can I do it? And I said, sure, get on up there. And he, you know, because he's always wanting to do that. And I mean, he had this little bracelet on that had a little fringe to it. And the bracelet would touch the smart board. It would change the screen. <laughs> and he was like, Miss Ochoa. And I looked at him. I said, I think you need a lesson or two about using the smart board. He goes, all right, touche, touche. You got me. <laughs> it was a lot harder than he thought. It was funny. But yeah, we did use the, I did use that. I used that for grammar. I used that. Yeah, the smart board, I would just throw up a video real quick on YouTube if I wanted to make a, a thing, you know, just yeah, they would create on it. I'd let them write on it. It was cool. I think I found, while you were talking, I think I found the acronym. Is it SAMR? Uh, well, that's not what I'm looking at, but what did you, so what does that stand for? SAMR means, it's S-A-M-R, uh -huh. Substitution, Augmentation, Modification, and Reinvention. Which one did you find? Yeah, yeah. So there's another one. 
Yeah, uh, I think I was thinking about the other one. Well, I think that one's more sophisticated, but this one's rat. This one's replacement, amplification, and transformation. So pretty much oh, the same. Oh, okay. Well, this I is just found, shorter. <laughs> yeah, there's there's actually a lot. This one was yeah. create, and it's collaboration, resources, educate, apps, technology, and enriching. Yeah. I found this whole website on uh, all these acronyms for education in the classroom. Oh, well, there you I go. mean, uh, tech ed. Yeah, oh, cool. that, that makes sense. There's a lot. But the I was thinking about RAT specifically because the replacement amplification or transformation, that is, I think most of what we talked about has been kind of amplification. Um, re- replacement was almost what we had to do uh, at the height of COVID. Um, yes. and, I'm, and if I'm not misunderstanding, that is, it's kind of the lowest form. It doesn't really do anything. It's just like, okay, this is, we're going to do it this way today. And there's no real rationale for it, except for you want to replace it for whatever reason. Amplification is obviously, you know, taking it up to a higher notch. And then transformation is really where it becomes revolutionary. And I would say like, um, I'm gonna use two examples here, both from when we were coaches, ironically enough, or one from when we were coaches, but we have a, a teacher who she got, um, these VR headsets. Um, so she would put kids in VR and her, I think it was our Spanish teacher and she would use it to like, cause she taught like our, our, our newcomers and stuff. So she would use it to like show them like historical places or get them, you know, more involved with the culture, use it to work on language, but use it to put them in there. I would consider that's transformation. You're literally being transported mm-hmm. to somewhere. Go ahead. Yeah. Our, our, um, uh, all of a sudden I lost it. Our geography teacher, our world cultures teacher also used them for that reason. Would yeah. take them to places and do vo- virtual well, and then, yeah, well, in your, uh, it was in our makerspace at that school, but it was, I don't know what it was called, so you're going to have to help me, but it was like sand and they could like move it around and the computer oh, would yeah. sense it and you could mm-hmm. make it rain if you like dug a divot, like the, and so it would appear on the sand. I mean, that was cool, but that's, that's transformational technology to me, right? Yeah, that's, that's artificial intelligence. Yeah, that's, I think that automatically makes it transformation. <laughs> It was definitely an interactive uh, map. It was fun. Yeah. Kids, the kids had a do lot you, of fun. Do with you it. remember what it was called? If people wanted to Google it, uh, it's a sandbox, um, and it's um, it's an artificial AI sandbox. But I'll double check it real quick. Yeah. But it it's might, really cool. Might be cool for our second question too. In a second, when we get to that, it just might be. But um, so for Rebecca. I think the, to put a little bow on this question is honestly, you know, when you're thinking about, um, you know, using technology, you know, I think that replacement amplification or transformation thing is really good. It's like, am I just replacing it to replace it? Which is fine. You know, we all do things differently just because we want to, it happens all the time. Um, but, and then really go, okay, so how do I amplify this mini lesson or how do I amplify conferences? Right. I feel like sometimes, in workshop, we can fall into, like, I've seen teachers who will primarily, they're like, oh, yeah, I, co- I confer with students all the time, right? I talk to them all the time. I'm like, okay, so how do you do that? Well, I leave Google comments. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not bad. Um, it's not how I would do it necessarily. It's a little too impersonal. It loses its, the whole point of a conference to me is the the relationship building and the, the, spon- the spontaneity of a uh, 
of talking with another person because you never know what's going to happen when you're talking through a conference. Um, but it, you can do that. But that's replacement to me. You're replacing going and meeting with them in person with typing on a Google Doc, right? Mm-hmm. Amplification would be, um, I don't know. In that sense, like amplifying conferences to me would be like maybe kids tracking their own notes in their technology and kind of keeping that down and then maybe applying it that way. And then transformation, I don't know, you'd have to get really creative. I don't do, I wouldn't know how to transform a conference with technology necessarily. But that idea though, I think that is, uh, I think that if, if Rebecca stays within that outline and can go, okay, so I want to use technology. I want to incorporate it. All right. So am I replacing, am I amplifying what's happening or am I transforming it, uh, for the better or worse, I guess, potentially. Um, and then go from there. I think if you do that, um, even if you make wrong decisions that you'll know afterwards, um, I think you'll have a a better chance at being successful. I don't know. Do you have anything to add before we go to question two? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I also, I'll just find out with the students, you know, just think of all the different ways that they could present their information using technology and let them explore. I mean, that could actually be an activity that you do in the classroom where they explore all the different things, you know, that they could could actually use. Uh, I let them do that. That's how we found out the coding, you know, and so I just kind of open it up and, and um incorporate as much technology as possible. Uh, those types of things. I don't know. I don't, I don't have much more and, and anything that they do. Um, well, another one, they could create characters. They could, you know, like, I think when we did the, um, makerspace, uh, you know, they did cartoon animation and I had to, they did Legos and they would do like little Lego movies Right. And uh, they could definitely interpret a piece of writing or something like that, or actually perform a play that they've written or anything like that and create a, a video. So you can do all kinds of stuff with it. So I just say be keep, keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. Have fun with it too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the worst thing that can happen is it falls apart and it happens all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just start over. <laughs> yeah. The, the only way you're going to learn is by doing. So, mm-hmm. uh, Rebecca, keep us posted, especially if you discover something unique you do with Workshop. You're in our Patreon community, so feel free to uh, to to share, and then maybe we can talk about that. Maybe a success that you have in the coming up months. So keep us posted, but we're going to move on to Carol, uh, one of our new uh, people over there on Patreon. Carol asks. Uh, I, I hang on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Augmented reality sandbox. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So okay. it's augmented. It's augmented reality, not so, AI. Yeah. So even then, so right. people go check that out. It's super cool. I had we. It's there was times cool. where you and I would just walk in there and play with it. So. Oh yeah, yeah. It anyway, just, sorry, I, you asked me to find that. No. That was good. That was okay. the thing that we would show, like, visitors, too, with people that come to our school, and we're like, hey, come. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Draw a hole. Well, <laughs> yeah, we even had some political some yeah. political uh, people that came, and, yep. you know, it's like, I know him now. That's so funny. Yeah. All righty. So, Carol, she goes, uh, during the 2020, uh, what, the 2223 school year, I will be teaching all subjects to my 35th grade gifted and talented students. I'm going Hi. to be using your craft and draft method for reading and writing. Awesome. I want my students to write in science and social studies also. Of course you do, Carol, because you're a rock star. 
Um, how would you approach those additional writing opportunities? I don't want to burn my kids out, but I also want to take advantage of cross-curricular opportunities. Boom! So I don't know if Carol is a Texan. She might be, but the state of Texas exam, whatever. I I tried to do the acronym, but I couldn't figure it out. Uh, The STAR test is changing. We've talked about it several times. We don't talk about it too much because we have people that listen from all over the United States, so we don't want to just talk specific Texas stuff, but they're probably in roughly the same boat, I would imagine. Um, High stakes testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so our but our test is changing and it's having writing in pretty much every subject. So Carol, you're already on the right track. You're where people are going to have to start clamoring for if they're not paying attention to it because it's coming, it's coming fast. Um but it's something that Ochoa and I have been pontificating on because we're both lovers of writing. We're both lovers of workshop, obviously, but we also have our experiences with um working with literacy beyond just the English classroom. Uh, and I think that allows us to have an opinion on this and, and to kind of give our, our thoughts. But, um, I want to jump to, I want to cover one thing first before we, I guess we answer the full question. This is because your expertise, as we've said on the show before is gifted and talented. You have your, uh, Degree, right? I was about to say certification. Yeah, my master's. Yeah, yeah, your master's. Your master's is in this. So this is, I mean, this is your wheelhouse. Would you (laughs) say that... Um, when you're, when you're working with, you know, specifically gifted and talented students that, uh, I don't know, I guess I want to ask is, is burnout across contents? Do you think that is more, are you think they're more susceptible to stuff like that? Because in my head, I think about like my most GT students I've ever had. And a lot of them will be like a lot of them want to get work done fast sometimes and they'll try to rush or whatever. Even if they're not rushing, they're just really good at like putting a volume of work down at times. And you could see how, you know, if you're where this question might be coming from, she'll be like, Oh my God, you know, I have them write and reading and writing and then social studies and then science and her kids put all the effort into this or really do that. You could, it's almost like a, it burn them out just because they're hard workers. Now we know not all gifted and talented kids come in, you know, all a lot of this gifted and talented means a whole bunch of things as you can tell us. But, um, I don't know. That was a really awkward way to ask, are they more susceptible to burnout in this way? Or is it just like all students? Well, I think, I just think it depends on your approach. Um, you know, I think if you, if you, approach it in a tedious format, like, well, here we go. We have to do, you know, something we have to do that's different. But I think if you approach it in an investigative way and when we investigate, we have to, we write. And I would even show them all the great thinkers and how they've used notebooks. For example, Leonardo da Vinci, right? Am I right? Yep. He, um, I mean, look at what all he did and he kept a notebook. And so you could look at his notebook and look at his um, and, and, you know, he's probably one of the most brilliant men, you know, that have lived. And so you can take what he did, uh, Galileo, you know, those types of people. So you can look at some of these kid, these um, historical gifted people, if you will, and see if you can find pictures and evidence of them using notebooks. So then right now, that what you're trying to do at the beginning is get them to buy in 
And I think with gifted and talented students, I think I think that's that's key, getting them to buy in. So you're recognizing that look, there's other people who are gifted like you, and this is how they dealt with all their ideas. They wrote them down, they sketched, they wrote, they took notes. And then they also wrote reflections and they wrote ideas and they wrote stories and they, you know, so they composed music. They did all of this stuff. And so if you can get them to look, we're just doing what other gifted people do and they've done it all these years. I think that would be a good approach. But yeah, I think if you hand it like this is more work, but what a gifted student doesn't want to do is more work because they're smarter. They want to do work that's meaningful because they're smarter. And that is the key. The key is creating that meaning and getting them to buy into that meaning. And I think that's my approach I would take to at least start my gifted and talented students and getting them to read and write and keep notebooks. Yeah. I mean, my, here's the thing. I mean, if you're teaching across all of these contents, I mean, what is, and this is me just thinking like literally in the moment, you know, what's stopping her from making the craft book multi-subject? Yeah, I think you could do that. You could have your mini lesson, your social studies mini lesson in there, a science mini lesson, and they might be less, right? And you could even divide them out, I guess. I don't know how many lessons she would necessarily get through uh, in fifth grade, Um but that's that's an idea that struck me is that the craft book could literally become uh, just the journal where all of the lessons go. And then the draft book could be a variety of things as well. It could be the general writing in English, but it could also be, you know, if you're in science and you need to write down observations, why couldn't you do that? Now, the observations could also be good for the left side of the craft book um, or write down responses in social studies if you're talking about an issue that you want kids to write and explain through. And that way there's this constant marriage of stuff. And then what would be really cool to me is if because she's using craft and draft already is if students, when it came time to publish – they got to choose what subject they got to pull from from their publishing. Maybe they did something awesome in science class, and they're like, I really love that, like, you know, you. I was struggling with how to write down and, you know, my <laughs> whatever was happening during the experiment, and I did it, and I'm really proud of it, and I even have um, – I did a graphic organizer correctly. Could I publish this? And I think that would be awesome. Or if they wrote a response to something that you're learning in fifth grade social studies that they were really proud of. Um, I think that would be a wonderful way to use craft and draft as a model, but really extend it out into this other stuff. And that way you have kids. Um, you could also honor them to where like some of the restrictions we have, and we try to get beyond this. Like I've told the story before where uh, when we were both coaches, I had a student who hated writing. Um, but he eventually was with you during makerspace at lunch and he found a typewriter that he wanted to fix. And we encouraged him to do that. And then because I knew he was doing that, I had him write about his process of figuring out how to fix this typewriter. And so we got beyond that. So we do that in our own classrooms already, but mm -hmm. she's, if, if it's set up this way, then she has the opportunity to be like, you know what, maybe that kid doesn't like writing a lot, or maybe they don't like reading, but they might really love history or they might 
at really like old things or sciencey stuff. Mm-hmm. And then so she could bring in that way. And it's it's already free reign because she's teaching it all anyway. So she could really. Right. And, may, and, and if I was her, I would model that behavior as early as possible. Right. I would do yes. the core like, you know, I'm writing about like. I read a po- I read you know this book and it's affecting me or this poem and it's affecting me like have all of that typical stuff but also be like you know what this story about I don't know what's a what's a what a common fifth grade social studies thing I don't know doesn't matter let's say George Washington George Washington really inspired me today I'm gonna I'm gonna write about him in writing um, when we get mm-hmm. to writing time and really open it up that way I think it'd be really awesome or if a kid's super interested in science and maybe you have questions that you want them to think about and you have a kid that's really invested in something have them go through their thought process in writing and then when you offer them this process you can be like alright so look at all of the work you've done in science social studies English writing what is it something that you're really proud of? Now let's take that through the publishing process. And I'm like, boom. I mean, I'm excited just talking about it. Oh, I know. That's exciting. And what I was looking for, you saw me kind of looking around and I thought I had the actual book. I do. I just, I have like 5,000 bookshelves, but anyway, she's oh, that's kidding. exaggeration by the way. No, she's not kidding. <laughs> I have, she has books upon books. There was, if you see, if you think you've seen all of her books, you haven't. You have it. I have another room in there. But anyway, so this one might be in the other room. But it's called How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. And so I rec- highly recommend it. And it's How to Think uh, Seven Steps to Genius Every Day. And it it actually has pictures of his journals and the stuff that he did. But it gives, it's, it's actually, a, it is, it's a step on how to think like that. And I use this when I taught my GT students, uh, kind of gave me maybe not ideas, but a way to think about their learning. And he, the, th- the reason I bring him up is because he did it all there. He did it all. And so his notebook is filled with everything. I mean, his designs, his writings and, and all of that. And so, uh, and, and I think if I had GT students all day long and I have to teach them all the subjects, but it looks like maybe not math. But even if it's math, I, I agree with what you said, Jacob. Just, you know, they're thinkers. So, but they're, but like you said, on their, on their craft book, the craft book is they're learning the craft. So any kind of note, so they might, you might still could keep it in chronological order, but they might have several mini lessons on that day. And if they wanted to, um, they could even, I don't know, color code, if you will, the different subjects if they wanted to do that. So uh, I had a, I had a, a teacher uh, that she was at the school that we both were coaches, but this was before you came, came on. And she actually followed us up. She's the one who took my place because uh, she, she left and then they rehired her. But she was great at organization, having her students organized. And she taught sixth grade and she had it color coded. Uh, and so she would use like uh, sticky notes and so the students would have sticky notes and each one of those sticky notes would be a topic that she was addressing. So it might be a, a, a actually, I think it was like a six weeks unit. So each unit, when she would finish that unit, then that sticky note would kind of hold 
or the tabs, you know, they have the little tabs that you can stick on. So like if it's math, that could be one color. If it's science, that could be another color. So, you know, the kids could just, that could be a supply that you have and then they can just put that there. That way they can quickly go to their lessons, but keep it chronological. And that could be another way to do that. I don't know. Uh, that might be too difficult, but you could even use more than one book, but I I don't know. I'd almost use the same book. This. Well, the craft and, and the writing. Well, and here's the thing. I think it, if you use the same one, I think it gives you a lot more opportunities to marry the two. Like if you want to mm-hmm. talk about like, you know, cause one of the hard parts about what we do is, you know, we, we try to bring in other contents and nonfiction naturally lends itself to that. Right. We'll read stuff about technology or animals or, you know, whatever we're trying to get them engaged in just to work on nonfiction practice. But if you're teaching all of these subjects, that's already built into your stuff. So why not? You're reading whatever you're reading for your nonfiction standard could be your science or social studies lesson two. And so you almost give them background knowledge while you're reading in uh, science or whatever. Like you're you're reading an article that's related to what you're doing in science. And when you get to science, you get to call that back. Uh, in terms of their knowledge and then kind of build off of that for whatever you're doing. Same thing for social studies, which I think would be really cool. And it allows you to talk about all kinds of authors' purposes in terms of, hey, we read this article. Was it really informative for what we did today or what we learned about mm-hmm. in the video or what we talked about? Uh, what was their, how, how does this stuff that we're reading for science class and social studies, how does that differ from like, say a story on a similar subject? Then you have your, the topics going cross genre, which we've talked about multiple times on here. You get them to start reading like readers, reading like writers, and you have them reading like, uh, historians and social studies. You have them reading like scientists, you have them writing like scientists, writing like historians. And then you have, I mean, it's literally a melting pot of all of this. And the only limitation is just how far you want to go. I mean, if you want to really dig in, what kind of, uh, what sentence structures are in science articles versus social studies versus um, something that may be a little more artsy in English? You know what I mean? And then, right. I mean, now you're just opening up the, the, the box of everything and you're making literacy relevant across the subject. So, I mean, this is, uh, even though it's probably going to be tons of work and those GT kids are going to give her a run for her money on some of this stuff because, um, they can do that sometimes. Um, I think, you know, if your kids are, especially like once they start connecting to that craft book and draft book process, I mean, you could really have a magical little, uh, year with all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and ha- I mean, you're, I, I don't want to cut off your thoughts. Oh, no, so, you're good. You're good. well, I was going to say, you've often mentioned, I don't know if you've ever mentioned here, but, uh, um, in, in just kind of just with us talking, you've always talked about how you had a class where it was like your favorite, like the year that you look back on, it was like your, that year where you had like all of your GT students where did you do multi-subject with them? Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, we did science, so, so I did a literature circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, I, I know I've shared this with you. I think I've shared it, but I'm just going to use this as an example. Cause I was wowed. I think I, I like to do things and then let them wow me. Like, I, like I keep them somewhat open-ended and then I say, wow me, you know, because <laughs> I think that's the fun. I think that's why I like doing this year after year, but um, I just get amazed at their thinking. But anyway, they were in literature circles and I, and I grouped them 
they they went, we were doing science fiction. So we were doing science and science fiction. So I was looking at what the question was, what is the real science in science fiction? Because because what makes science fiction wonderful is it's plausible. Even if, even if it's like out there, you know, for example, Star Wars science fiction, right? Because it deals with space. It deals with something. So is it plausible? Well, it it is because we know that there are planets out there. We know we can go to space now. Is it plausible? Yeah, it's plausible that there might be other places. So, so the fact that it's plausible. So where is the science in the science fiction? And so that was my major question after we kind of talked about the elements of science fiction. So they all went to the library, they got books, they had to be a science fiction book, right? They read for about, um, I don't know, the first chapter. And then I said, okay, so how many of you are, give me your topics. So they all wrote down what their topics were. We put it up on the board and then I started grouping them based on their topics. So all of the, all of the time space people, they were together. All the DNA changing of the molecules of the body, like Frankenstein or not Frankenstein, but uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. You know, that was all changing the molecules, any kind of cloning, anything like that, that, you know, DNA stuff went one place, Um, you know, all of the space travel went another place, whatever. So they all connected by, based on their, their topics. And then what they had to do was in their discussion, they had to talk about the real science. So then they had to investigate what's the real science. So I had my uh, time travel people. They actually talked about the, these were seventh graders, but they looked up um, Einstein's relativity, you know, and all of that. And then, so they had to give me, they had to write about how did that science, what was real and how did his relativity, uh, uh, theory fall into, you know, why, why would a wormhole be plausible? How did they actually move through time? And so his idea of wormhole is the actual science his idea of gravity and things like that. So, so anyway, yeah, we taught about that, but the kids actually led the project because I didn't tell them to study Einstein because of what they were reading. They studied Einstein. Does that make sense? So it was really kind of fascinating. So I I did that, uh, but I've also taught different subjects. And when I taught those different subjects, I, you know, we would look up all like in social studies, um, they had to write, uh, well, in, in social studies, we had to do a DBQ, right? And a DBQ is a document-based question. So I had to teach that. So I taught them different elements of a document-based question. But that at the end, they could go back over all of their notebook and anything that they wanted answered about their history class, like about a topic involving, and at that time it was Texas history. So anything in Texas history that they were interested, it was opened up and they had to create a DBQ uh, essay, and they had to find their own resources and all of that. So we we learned all about uh, LBJ. We learned about uh, you know just all kinds of stuff. That was one that popped. That one was a really good one. So I remember it. So yeah, uh, when I teach about it, I just open it up as much as possible. 
So I do my mini lessons about the subject, but then I open up those subjects as as broad as I can for their writing. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Carol can probably hear our excitement with all this, but there, I mean, there's just so many opportunities, you know, you don't have to do everything Mm -hmm. we talked about. No. (laughs) You know, you can start small and just see how you can connect one of the Mm -hmm. subjects. Um, Maybe the the two that you're most comfortable with or whatever, or go as far as you want. I mean, have fun with it. But I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity there um, to kind of merge them together and, and to keep those writing opportunities. And even if you're not fully ready to integrate the craft book into everything, um, I think just if you're, you know, if you really kind of want to keep them separate for now, then I would, uh, in the writing, I wouldn't worry about burning them out, just making sure that you're having them write for real reasons the same way you would in writing. I think that's like you said at the top of it, that's, that's how you keep burnout from happening is, you know, I can have kids that if I tell them what to write about every week, they'll be burnt out in five weeks, probably less. If I let them choose, then they will never stop writing once they realize that they connect to it. Um, and it just goes. Well, you know, I watched a movie the other day and it was a historical fiction. It was not fiction. It was based on a true story, but it intrigued me. And I wanted to know the history behind this person. It was in the 1100s and I didn't know this person existed. I watched this movie and I went, is this person real? And I go and look it up. Well, what I discovered was the author or the screenwriter, whoever, you know, created the movie, uh, they had to come, the actual star of the show was made up of three brothers from the same family. And so they used the the assets of, or the characterization of the three um, siblings to create this one main character. So it was historical, but yet they had a license because the the history was so complicated it would have just it, it just would have taken that story down and it would have never gotten any kind of view right i mean because it would be too complicated so they they simplified it so to me it would be cool if like for history if, or social studies that they look at a story right and then they say okay now how would you this is what happened. How, what are the key things that you would need to bring out in your story and write your story? So that would be some things that I just, I get started on this. I'm sorry, but I get all excited. Uh, but anyway, that would be, cause really you talked about writing like a historian. Um, you can't include everything. It would bog down. So what do you need to include? I mean, that's really, why did the author include what they included? Why did they exclude it? You know, what was the difference? So that could be uh, just all kinds of stuff that you could have the students kind of investigate. And they're learning the history because they have to learn the history in order to summarize the history. And then they have to understand characteristics, what makes a character great, and what, you know, what do I need to add to to make my story even better? One of my, my son's, he he's he loves any kind of history. He always did, but he always loved anything military. And one of his best writings that he did was he inserted himself in World War II, and it, he had to write the the story was or the t- the prompt was write about your favorite day, the best day ever, and you could make it up. They said you could do whatever you wanted. So he had a buddy. He was imagining his best friend, and they were pilots 
on the Nimitz from years ago. And the best day ever was I went in and saved the day, you know, that all these kamikaze and, and it was all based on his readings that he had done, but he, he um, put himself in, in that situation. And he wrote this story about the best day ever. And then when they both landed, the, Everybody just, they they cheered them on and all this stuff. And it was like, he scored like a really high score on it. And uh, he spent a lot of time on it. And it was such a big deal that this mama can still remember it because it was such a, I thought it was great that he did that. So that could be something. And it was a fourth grader when he did it. So your fifth graders could insert themselves into the science, insert themselves into the story, and then they can write what they see. So I'm just, I just get excited. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. Now, hopefully Carol's getting excited with all of these I ideas. So. Um, but Carol, let us know if this helps, um, mm-hmm. if it raised more questions, whatever. But ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this episode of Craft and Draft. That's Pam, which I'm Jacob Chastain, too teachers down here in the state of Texas, loving what we do in reading, writing, workshop, enjoying summer and preparing all the things for you. Patrons, listen up. We're going to be posting soon, uh, talking about a date for our first PD that we're going to do. This PD will be open uh, for people that are not patrons, so if they want to do that, but patrons will either uh, be free if you are a listener plus or have a discount if you are uh, a listener tier on Patreon. More details of that coming up uh, that we will post all over so that you know. Also, some videos coming down the pipe because that's what we'll be doing now is releasing um, one or two every single month, making things happen for you. So a lot of stuff coming. Thank you for listening. Subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a review and know that we are here for you. 